Well, good morning to you all today. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Amen. Uh, today we're going to continue our study of the book of Revelation. Today we're going to read all of chapter 13. So when you find Revelation chapter 13, would you please stand? So one thing I noticed, uh, you know, last, last week I read chapter 12. And some of you may wonder why I went on to the first sentence in, in uh, chapter 13. Actually, I've compared three different Bibles. I compared the, uh, the ESV, which I'm reading here. I also looked at the NIV and the New American Standard, and they separate chapters 12 and 13 separately. Um, and, they, you know, here in the ESV, it ends chapter 12 where it says, and he, st- and he stood on the sand of the sea, but in some of the other translations you might have, that's actually part of chapter 13. So if you're wondering why I went on to the next chapter last week, that's, that's what happened. I actually didn't. Uh, anyhow. <laughs> Chapter 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life for the Lamb who was slain. If anyone who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Um, I should mention, too, as we pray, um, let's remember specifically uh, the Emmanuel um, AME Church in South Carolina and uh, those who... uh, 
who were present Wednesday night and survived and lost loved ones and those who were not present but lost friends or loved ones um, as, that, as that community um, deals with this tragedy. And, you know, in a very real sense, uh, Paul, uh, we're, we're told in Scripture to mourn with those who mourn. Um, and and uh, in a very real sense, and this is one thing I, I hope all of us get the... Uh, the uh, the reality of we, we, we are a family. We are a family. We're, we're one body. Many members, but one body. So um, brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering there because of the losses. And um, the, uh, the, the horror of it all, I don't, I don't you know, it's not just, not just loss as though somebody were... Uh, had died of a heart attack or something like that, but but the way in which it happened, and they're dealing with all of that, and and I might add, from what I've seen, um, gracefully, gracefully, um, even inviting the perpetrator to uh, to to faith in Christ, Persu- you know, trying to persuade him to come to faith in Christ. So uh, anyway, let's let's lift those brothers and sisters up as we pray. Father, we do want to give you thanks, Father, for bringing us together again here at this location this morning. And thank you that in this, this land we still enjoy uh, this freedom to be able to, to come together. And uh, at least in terms of, of uh, government, government regula- regulations or, or lack of regulations, we, we are uh, able to do this freely. But uh, Wednesday night showed us, Lord, that um, sometimes safety is a myth. And uh, even though we may not be under threat of law, there, there are just uh, other forces at work that ultimately uh, oppose you and what you're doing. Um, that attack on those people may not have been intended to be an attack on Christianity, but we know that the evil forces behind it have as their goal the objective to destroy your kingdom. Father, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in, in uh, South Carolina, uh, Emmanuel, AME Church. We grieve with them over their losses, and we, we pray for them for your wisdom to seize this opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to show the world the grace of God in action. And Father, we thank you that you've already been using them to that end. Uh, we pray for the, uh, for the perpetrator, Lord, and we do ask, along with them, we ask that you would open his heart to your salvation message, that he would come to know you in truth. Be saved. Be saved. He may and probably will face um, dire consequences in this world, but how glorious uh, if he would become a child of yours and, uh, and be with you through eternity. So, Father, we ask those things, and we ask for your, your direction here this morning. Uh, please grant that your word be spoken here. Enable me to do that, I pray. Please grant clarity. Please uh, grant accuracy. And Lord, please enable all of us 
to grasp your truth, come to a better knowledge of you, grow in our love for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, amen. This is just more, you know, the, the, the revelation that we're working our way through here. Um, chapter 13 that we are now uh, at is, is, is just more good news for those who suffer in this world, for believers who suffer in this world. And I do want to, I appreciate Joel uh, saying what he said. I, uh, um, I wanted to point you back to that as well in verse, uh, uh, the last verse of chapter 12. And this is one of those one of those places where the chapter divisions are not exactly helpful. Um, so, so we leave off. In fact, I'll just read verse 17, chapter 12. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. Remember that from last week, the dragon. The, the, we had the vision of the woman who bears the, uh, the child, um, which, of course, the child represents Christ. And the woman, we said, um, probably represents the, the people of God, all of God's people, the ideal church. And the dragon, of course, is Satan. Uh, we're told that explicitly. Uh, so, so the dragon uh, is is at enmity with the woman, and he's trying to kill the seed of the woman. And then in verse 17, at the end of this vision, it says, "Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus." So, so uh, pretty plain there, right? He's he's making war with the church. That is, Satan is, is uh, making war with the people of God. And then it says in the very last sentence, And he stood on the sand of the sea. So, so that gives us the setting for chapter 13. Um, and the next things that, uh, that John will be, uh, will be uh, witnessing here, that he'll be seeing. And we're still in this interlude, by the way, um, between... We, we've had the sounding of the seventh trumpet... And we're in this interlude between this, the sounding of the seven trumpets, trumpets, and then the uh, the seven bowls that are that are coming up, the the bowl judgments where judgment is being poured out on the earth. Uh, so so we're in between those things, and and as we said last week, what is being described to us here again, in, in kind of a kind of a big picture way, is this, uh, especially in, in chapter twelve, is is this struggle. This ongoing struggle between Satan and his kingdom and God and his kingdom. But, but let's be clear on something. This is, this, and the book of Revelation is clear on this. The whole Bible is clear on this. There will be a lot of things we'll look at here today that we won't understand. Some of them we will encounter today. <laughs> okay? So I'm just going to prepare you for that. Um, some of them we will encounter today. A lot of things we don't understand. But, but the main point we understand, and that is what we just sang about, that Christ emerges victorious. He wins in the end. In fact, he's, he's already won. And we're just awaiting the full manifestation of that. So let's be clear on this. When we talk about this struggle between satanic forces and the kingdom of God, we're not talking about equals. Okay? Uh, so it's, this is not, you know... Um, what has been referred to traditionally as dualism, where where you have um, evil 
and good, you know, they're both existing eternally, both equal, um, and so there's just this ongoing uh, struggle between the forces of evil and the forces of good. You know, it's, it's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of mentality that you, you get in a lot of uh, Eastern religion, for example. That's, that's the, uh, the, the mentality that is behind um, the Star Wars series, right? And uh, you just, you just uh, hope as you, as you move through those, you know, those books or movies or what, however you, you, you go through it, you hope that um, good prevails, you hope that um, Luke Skywalker will do the right thing, right, and that he won't go to the dark side. And but but you know at least for a while there you're you're kind of wringing your hands. But that's not what we have here. There there's the Bible never never implies any kind of equality between Satan and his forces and God and His kingdom. Right? God is supreme. He created Satan. Satan is a created being. Now, I should say this as well, and this I think too will help us as we, as we look at chapter 13 and, and beyond. We are no match for Satan. He, he's an angelic uh, being, a spirit, a spiritual being, uh, no doubt um, superior in intelligence to human beings, certainly superior in power. We have, we have plenty of examples in the Scripture of... of uh, Demonstrations of the power of angels, and and they are superior in that in those senses to human beings. So so this would be a terrifying thing uh, to 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 be to be facing the onslaught of Satan. Because let's face it, what what we're looking at here is Satan coming at us with everything that he's got. Especially as we as we get to the close of the age, and I think that's. Um, well, I'll explain as we go, but I think that's part of what we're looking at today. When we get to the close of the age, right before the end and Christ's return, uh, it, it's almost as though He were just unleashed against the church, against God's people. And that would be a real reason to despair, except uh, if we are in Christ then the assurance that the book of Revelation is giving us is that Jesus is able to keep us in the midst of the tribulation in this world. Again, that's why, remember I've, I've, I've stated several times, um, a, a good verse to summarize the message of Revelation is John 16.33, where, where Jesus is talking about something different, but, but it applies well here. Jesus says... To his disciples, be of uh, in, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, or take heart, for I have conquered the world. That's the message of the revelation. In the world you have tribulation. If if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Take heart, because Jesus has conquered the world. So. At times it may appear that Satan is getting the upper hand. At times it may appear that he's winning. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about... That, that certainly happens in our, in our personal lives, doesn't it? And you hear Christians talk about being defeated. I, I know what they mean. I don't, I don't really like that language, but, um, I, but I know what they mean. You know, there's, there's, there, there are times that we, uh, 
we, we do things that we shouldn't do, and we, we kind of, uh, you know, to use the old analogy, we allow Satan to get a foot in the door, and uh, that just causes more trouble, and then we're just, you know, quote, defeated. But reality is we're not defeated. We're not <laughs> defeated. There, there are times that it looks that way. But if you're in Christ, Satan has to defeat Christ in order to defeat you. And that ain't going to be, that ain't going to happen. That may be bad English, but it's true nonetheless. It ain't going to happen, all right? We win in the end because Jesus wins. All right, so that's the message of Revelation. In Christ, you still have tribulation in the world, and it's going to be extreme at times. So sometimes in your personal experience, it seems like Satan's got the upper hand, but it's going to be more than that. It's going to be over the church as a whole. Before we get to the end... It's going to get so bad that it looks like Satan is conquering the church. There is going to be apparent, I underline that, apparent victory over the church. In appearance, for a time, for a short time. But the reality is that he will not win. And, and God will um, keep us through that and defeat Satan finally and fully, uh, when Christ returns, okay? So that's, that's the message. I mean, this is given for our encouragement. Now, I, I put for a title today just um, simply this. This is a call to endure and trust. Or you could say a call to endurance and trust. So, so, so be thinking about those two words as we go through here. Endure or endurance and trust. And... Uh, you know, the Greek term for endurance uh, even is the idea of bearing up under something. Bearing up under. So that's the idea here. You, you know, Christians bear up under the tribulation that comes upon us. We bear up under it. We're not, we're not crushed by it. It is, uh, in a sense, I mean, it is crushing, but it doesn't crush us completely. Uh, and again, it's not because, not because we're a good match for Satan. It's because God keeps us. So Peter says, for example, we're kept or guarded by the power of God unto salvation. All right, so endure trust. Endure trust. That's, that's going to be the, the, kind of the, the main point. There. This is a call to endurance and trust in Jesus in the face of apparent defeat by satanic powers at the close of this age. Um, I don't know that we're at the close of the age today. I mean, the very end of the end. We're definitely in the, in the last days. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says we are. Um, the last days is the period between Christ's first coming and His second coming. So, the New Testament was written in the last days, and the whole church um, age from, from then, from the first century till now, is the last days. We're in the last days until Jesus comes. Are we in the last of the last days? That, I don't know. But I'm confident of this. Uh, it's, we are about to face some hard things. It's, it's, 
Christians around the, in other parts of the world are already facing them. Um, I'm convinced um, it's coming here, coming to a town near you soon, as they say. Um, it's probably going to start out relatively light. You know, they're going to do things, for example, like taking away our tax-exempt status. Uh, that's that's uh, and that's okay. I mean, you know. But it will have an effect on us. It will make some things, uh, as far as functioning the way we're used to functioning in this country, at least, um, it's, it's going to have an effect on us. So it's going to start with, with stuff like that. It's going to, you know, there, there will be institutions. Already, some of this is already happening, but there will be institutions, Christian institutions that cannot operate because they cannot comply with law. And uh, like I say, some of this is already happening in... in uh, um, Massachusetts, um, Roman Catholics had to get out of the uh, adoption business, and, and, they, and, and they were a major player there in, in placing kids in homes. And they had to get out of it entirely because of, uh, because of laws regarding contra- providing contraception um, that, that are uh, enforced um, uh, in that state, you know, because they had a form of, of, of uh, what we call Obamacare, they had a form of that before uh, before it became nationwide. Uh, but th- those kinds of things, and then you know, we've we've seen people put out of business. Uh, you know, the the florist uh, in Washington, Washington State, who uh, they are still trying to destroy. I mean, they've already put her out of business. They're trying to um, destroy her life, basically, um, by by uh, taking away every penny she's got. Uh, and it's all because she would not cater uh, or, or provide the, not cater, but provide the, the floral, floral arrangements for a gay wedding. So there, there are things like that. They're, they're, they're already happening, and, and it's going to increase. It's going to increase. And I suspect that it won't be very long before it turns into... Uh, you know, not just losing tax-exempt status or, or losing your business, as though that weren't bad enough, losing your livelihood weren't bad enough, but not just things like that, but it'll translate into things like jail time for, for people who speak against some of the things that the, uh, that the government is, and others are demanding now that we celebrate. Okay? And pay attention, because before this month is done, the Supreme Court will likely hand down a decision on gay marriage that will make it the law of the land nationwide. So states like Louisiana, who do not have it currently, will be forced to recognize it. Same, same thing they did with abortion in 1973. I hope it goes the other way, but, but, I, but I'm not confident that, that it will. But, uh, but pay attention to that. That's coming. When that comes, um, there are going to be some radical changes. And they may, they may not all happen immediately, but they're coming. Like I say, they may start out subtle. I think probably in the beginning they're going to say, well, we're going to make some uh, exceptions for faith-based organizations so that churches don't have to violate their conscience and this and that. But that is not going to fly for long. All right, so we're looking at, I would say, some real persecution probably in our near future. Certainly there are other Christians around the world who this is nothing new for, um, Places like China, Sudan, now Iraq and Syria. You know, ironically enough, 
Um, until the Iraq War and all, Christians lived in peace in Iraq. You know, Iraq was more of a secular state. In fact, uh, Tariq Aziz, who was kind of the, the face of the Iraqi government, every time uh, when we first went to war, you know, you would see him. Uh, he was a diplomat, and you would see him on TV speaking on behalf of Saddam Hussein. He just died a few days ago, but he was a Christian. He was, a, he was an Orthodox Christian. Now, I don't know if he's truly born again or not. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying he, he claimed uh, the Christian faith. They, they lived in uh, peace there. They do not today because of ISIS and other radicals. Uh, Christians are being um, severely persecuted in places like Syria and Iraq. Okay, so I'm, I'm mentioning all that because it, it, it makes things look so bleak. And that's the picture that's being painted here. Now remember, um, the dragon at the end of verse 12 is, is on the sand of the sea. And then you get to verse 1 of chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So, so John uh, is describing something um, monstrous here. Coming up out of the sea. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, uh, some places it will say... Um, he rose out of the sea. Some places it'll say um, out from the earth. Some places it'll say out of the bottomless pit. I think it's really talking about the same thing every time. It's just it's just different images describing describing the same thing. All right, so let's read through some of this first, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about um, what we can be confident of, and then what uh, maybe even a few things we can't be sure about. But uh, um, and I, we'll try to separate those things. So, verse 1, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, now let me just say this about verse 2. That imagery is taken from Daniel chapter 7. And there, Daniel is given a vision of four beasts, and those beasts there represent empires or governments. And so I think we can, you know, probably safely say that's, that's what's happening here. Um, in other words, John, this beast that John is seeing rising out of the sea, which out of the sea or out of the earth or out of the bottomless pit probably just means uh, out of the earth or out of the sea. And, and Daniel uses both of those terms, by the way, seemingly applying it to the same thing. But but that probably just means out from among the people, out from among the nations. You know, uh, uh, you, you think of a, a kingdom, a, an empire, a nation rises up from among the nations. A power, you know, we say, uh, like an empire. It's described as a beast. And in Daniel, um, it was talking about the, the, four, the four beasts that Daniel saw were, were talking about the four kingdoms that were going to come in the, in the relatively near future. Uh, one, the first one, he was living... He was living in that period. That was the Babylonian Empire. And then after that, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, which Daniel did live through some of that before he, he died during that uh, rule. So the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greco Empire, uh, headed up by Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire. All right. So here, what, what, Dan, what John has done, or what he's, what he's seeing done in his vision, is those first three beasts kind of kind of uh, blended. In other words, the imagery he's using, he says, the beast I saw was like a leopard with feet like a bear, mouth like a lion. 
those are three separate characteristics when you look at the beast in Daniel 7. One of them is like a leopard, one of them is like a bear, one of them is like a lion. But here, this beast is all of those combined. And to it, he goes on to say, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So, so he's, he's trying to emphasize here um, the power, the authority of this beast who has behind it none other than Satan himself. That is, th- this empire, this power, this world power is, is operating um, directly under satanic influence. Okay? Verse 3, one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound. Now, here's the important thing here. It seems to die and then resurrect, as it were. It, it pops up again later. Um, I, I, I don't know how to, how to fit all the pieces together in terms of the detail, but that seems to me to be the main thing. You know, it, it was dead, and then it's, it's alive. It's, it's raised up again. Um, some people have interpreted that. I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying this is how some people view it. Some people have interpreted that as like a revival of the Roman Empire. You know, the Roman Empire um, once existed, and then it, uh, it, it didn't actually get conquered per se. It did and it didn't, but it kind of decayed from within, and then it was overrun. And so it was, it just, it was gone, and they think, you know, maybe this is kind of a, uh, a revival, uh, so to speak, of the Roman Empire. I'm only mentioning that to say that in some sense it it dies and then it comes back. So one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now here here again, here's, here's the main thing to catch here. The world, the whole world, or the whole earth as it says here, marvels at this beast and follows after it. So I, I think what is being described here again is a world power, you know, like a, 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 an empire, but, but this time greater in, in scope and power than anything we've ever seen. And the whole earth is just um, marveling at it and following after it. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority, authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying... Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Kind of reminds you of a lot of the, you know, the nationalism we read about in history, right? Like, like Nazi Germany. Who can fight against us? Who's able to take on the, the, the beast, you know, the German Empire? Uh, they, they thought they were invincible. Of course, I think this is more than nationalism. Uh, and we're going to see a religious aspect, but I think it, it even goes beyond that. Uh, like I say, at least in, in, uh, in magnitude, I mean, this is more than what we've ever seen. And people are convinced that it's the ultimate. And so they worship this beast. And they worship the dragon, Satan. Does that mean the whole earth becomes Satan worshipers? Well, yes and no. Probably doesn't mean that they, they do it uh, consciously. But, and, and here's the thing, and this is one of the things I want us to catch. I, I, I think what we're, what, we're, what we're looking for in the future is an intensification of things that are already going on. So even right now, there is a sense in which everybody that is, that is not saved, everybody that is outside of Jesus Christ, worships Satan. 
Now, they don't have to be consciously aware of that. And I've got a friend who um, loves the Lord now, but he was formerly an atheist, and he'll tell you real quick. He said, I, I did not believe in God, the devil, any of that stuff. He said, I thought it was all foolishness, silly. But he didn't realize he was actually worshiping Satan by disbelieving in Satan as well as God, okay? Because he was entirely given over to the will of Satan. So that's probably kind of what the picture is here too. In other words, the whole thing is is intended to describe something opposed to God. Anti-Christ. Alright? Verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words... And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And that's, we, we, we've seen that time frame a lot. And I think probably the significance there is uh, just the idea that it is temporary. Because it is going to get bad. Really, really, really bad. And so the Lord is communicating to His people that it's going to be for a short period. And that while it may seem that Satan has been totally unleashed... The reality is not so. He's being allowed certain things, allowed to do certain things, but in the end he'll be reined in. All right, so um, verse 7, also it was allowed, there you, there you go, you got that term a couple times there. In verse 5, he was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Uh, and then, I don't think I finished verse 6, so we'll go back to that. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Now, try to do this real quickly. And if I don't finish this this morning, we'll we'll just try to take up where I left off tonight, um, because there's a lot here. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean like, saying bad things about God. What it, what it means is um, putting yourself in the place of God, essentially. When Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the Jews accused Him of blasphemy. And they said, you're making yourself equal with God, which defines blasphemy. Um, now, he, Jesus was not blaspheming. He was making Himself equal equal with God. The reason that was not blasphemy in his case is because he is God. (laughs) But Satan, like any other creature, when he makes himself equal with God, that is blasphemy. And so that's what he's doing here. He is presenting himself as God in the place of God. And and I think it's probably safe to say um, superior. He's offering himself as being superior to God. So that's the blasphemy. And he's blaspheming God, blaspheming God's name, and blaspheming God's dwelling, which is us. That is those who dwell in heaven. So here's that, here's that um, contrast again between those who dwell on the earth. Remember the, the, the down dwellers we've been talking about? Those who dwell on the earth, that is anybody outside of Christ. Anybody, as John puts it in 1 John, anybody that's a friend of the world. Here they're repeatedly referred to as those who dwell on the earth. And there's a contrast between them and those who dwell in heaven. And that's us. Those whose citizenship, as Paul says in Philippians, is in heaven. 
Their citizenship is on the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are in the world, but not of the world. Or again, to use John's um, wording, we are not friends with the world. This whole world system is anti-God. And so John says, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. So we're in the world, but we're not of it, and we're not friends with it. The beast represents the world system. And everybody who, is, who does not belong to Christ marvels at the beast and worships the beast and worships the dragon because they are friends of the world. Their citizenship is here. They are dwellers upon the earth, down dwellers. And verse 7, Also it was allowed, notice that word again, to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And back in Daniel 7, he, he says the same thing. In fact, he says it there twice. And in one instance there, he says that he will wear them out. Wear out the saints. So it's allowed, this beast, which is probably, again, a, a, a world power, world uh, empire. Uh, a lot of people like to use the, world, uh, use the term one world government. You know, Well, it, it seems that way when you read through here. Um, he is allowed to make war... On the church, on the people of God, the saints. And here's where it gets really scary. To conquer them. But only temporarily. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell upon the earth. There's the down dwellers again. All who dwell on the earth, all the down dwellers will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has ears to hear, um, let him hear. Now, I'm, I'm going to come back in just a moment to verses 9 and 10. Now, let's try to look real quickly at the second beast. The second beast was rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Now, that seems to be a representation of a false Christ, doesn't it? Because, because he's, got, he's, he's got the appearance of a lamb. He's got two horns like a lamb. It's counterfeit Christ. But he speaks like a dragon because he's really anti-God. And it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. Or I like the, the more literal, before him. In other words, the idea here is not, not that he has to be in the presence of the first beast to exercise his power, but, but, but he's, he's, he's operating in his behalf. He's, he's operating with the authority of the first beast. With all of his power before him. And he makes the earth and its inhabitants... And by the way, he's referred to later, we get over to chapter 16, I think it is, he's referred to as a false prophet. The false prophet. And he makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs. That is this second beast or the false prophet performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work. Notice that term again. Allowed. (laughs) It is allowed to work before the beast. It deceives those who dwell on the earth, the down dwellers. It deceives them. 
telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed, notice that, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Now, here's what, where it does seem clearly. Uh, I mean, they're, 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 you could take these other ways, but, but it seems like uh, this is a, some kind of a world empire that does not only exercise political power, uh, but also um, it's, a, it's a religion. Um, and there are a lot of ways you, you could take that. I mean, there's one sense that, in, in one sense, you know, that is going on now. And you can think of different systems that really do function in a lot of ways like a, a religion. You know, things like communism, and where they supposedly don't believe in any god. But, the, but what happens is um, the state itself becomes the god of the people, right? So they may not have a, a, uh, a, an authorized religion like, like the Romans did, as a matter of fact. You know, they had the uh, emperor worship. Um, but they may not have something like that in place, but there is still something that stands in the place of God. And in that sense, the people worship it. But, but as I said, it seems to me here that He's probably making the point that, it, that it, this beast has religious power or, or political power as well as religious power, and all of that extends to power over the economy. Verse 15, It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast be, to be slain. So in other words, if you don't comply, you die. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. Um, that can be translated like stamp or, or impression. The mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, now let me just say this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I don't necessarily take the mark of the beast to be a literal mark. It, 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 it may be. I'm not saying it's not. And if that's the way you, you, know, you think, well, I think it is. That's, that's fine. Uh, I'm <laughs> that's certainly doable, isn't it? Um, and especially nowadays, they don't even, it doesn't even really have to be visible nowadays. They can do things um, under the skin. Um, but I don't really take it to be a literal mark. We, we have the same kind of terminology talking about the, the servants of God being marked. We've got His name written on our foreheads. I, th- I think the idea here, again, is, has to do with loyalty. In other words, Christians are loyal to Christ. Non-Christians are loyal to something in God's place. Idolatry. And in this context, the something is this beast and this whole system that is set up under the beast that seems to include not only political power, but also a, a, a religion and his power... Uh, the scope of his power extends uh, to, to the, uh, the economy. I mean, he's got power over, or, or it, if you're, you know, we're thinking about an empire, but, but I, I do think uh, we'll see as we go on, but it seems to be a, um, one person who's kind of at the front of all of it, a, a literal person, probably a literal man. Uh, 
that we call Antichrist with capital A. He will have such um, power, so extensive, to the, to the point that you cannot buy or sell. You cannot exist. You can't live unless you are loyal to Him or it, you know, the whole world system. And, and that was done, by the way, to an extent in the, in the Roman Empire. Some people think that that's precisely what this is talking about. But they, they did have emperor worship. And the, the reason they killed Christians in the, early, in the early stages of Christianity in the Roman Empire was not because we were Christians per se. The Roman Empire was sort of like the United States is today. Um, there was a plurality of religions. They, they tolerated other religions. Jews were tolerated, for example. Um, so, so why then do we hear about them, the Christian martyrs? Why were the Romans officials putting Christians to death? Well, it wasn't so much because Christians um, confessed allegiance to Christ. It was because they refused to confess Caesar as Lord. It was again, again, in, a, in an, uh, a similarity to our own day, it was kind of the idea, you can have your religion as long as you celebrate ours too. So if you will confess Caesar as Lord, that's all you've got to do. And, and you can go on and, and you know, have your church services, worship Jesus and all that, as long as you admit... And confess Caesar as Lord. And that is what Christians refused to do. They said, we, we cannot do that. There is one Lord. And that is, you know, and they would proclaim, Jesus is Lord. And many were martyred because of that. Now, so I don't know that it's a literal mark, but, but it definitely has to do with where is your loyalty? To God or to this world? Where is your allegiance ultimately? To God or to this world? Listen, when it comes to Christianity and Christ, you're either in or you're out. It's it's one or the other. You've either been born again, bought by the blood of Jesus, and know Him as Lord and Savior... Or you don't. And the other option is that you belong to Satan, and though you may not be conscious of it, you are worshiping him. It is one or the other. Now, let me go back just briefly. We'll, we'll, we'll try to wrap this up and then come back to this uh, tonight a little bit. Notice this. All of this power that is given to the beast, and even power to make war, on the saints and overcome them for a period. It's put this way in verse 7. Let's look, look at these, verse 7 through 10 here. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given to it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So that's pretty, pretty much covers everybody, doesn't it? And all who dwell on the earth, that is all the down dwellers, he's given power over all of them. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written 
before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This is where the good news comes in. This is where the assurance comes in. John is saying, what the Lord is saying through John, that those of us who are in Christ, those of us whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, will not be caught up in this. Oh, sure, we're gonna, we're, we will suffer at the hands of the beast, be killed at the hands of the beast, but not deceived by the beast. Not destroyed eternally by the beast. When we get to the end of the book, and the beast, and the false prophet, and all of those who follow the beast are cast into the lake of fire, that will not include those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Has been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. So, verse 9 says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive... Now listen closely because this is worded... There are different ways this can be translated, so it's worded differently in different translations. I think the ESV catches the sense of it here now uh, correctly. I say that because of the context. Maybe I can go through that more tonight, but for now let me just put it out there. Uh, So your translation may not say exactly the same thing. Verse 10, If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes... If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. What's he saying? Well, I think what he's saying is this. If it's appointed to you, Christian, to be taken captive, it's going to happen. Because the beast is going to be allowed to make war with the saints and conquer them. So if God has chosen to get glory by me being taken captive, then that's going to happen. If God has chosen to get glory by me being slain, then that is going to happen. So, he says, here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. In other words, it's bad, it's going to get worse. But, but, in the end, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if your name was written there before the foundation of the world, you say, well, how do I know if my name was written in the book of life before the foundation of the world? Where do you stand with Christ? Are you in Christ? I mean, can you say this morning that you know Him? Can you say this morning that He died for your sins? Can you say this morning that your sins were paid for by Jesus on the cross at Calvary? Do you know today that you have the promise of eternal life? Because, not because of something you did, but because of what Jesus did in your behalf. Well, if that's so, if you're born again, then your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And so, He's giving us the hope there. Everybody's going to be deceived except those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. I mean, that's going to happen. has nothing to do with your eternal blessing, except that it may increase it. It's not going to diminish it. It's not going to take it away. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. That's not going to take away your eternal blessing in Christ. 
That's just the tribulation that you have to go to and are appointed to go through in this world. So why is He telling us all of this? So that we will endure. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. What's He saying? He's saying it's bad in this world. In the world you have tribulation. It's going to get worse. Endure. Hold fast your confession. Remember, they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, right? Hold fast your, your, your confession. And trust the synonym for faith. That's what He's calling for. Here is a call for the endurance and trust. Or you could say faithfulness of the saints. In other words, our loyalty remains with Christ. Remember Job? Job said, Though the Lord slays me, yet will I serve Him. Endure and trust. Endure the tribulation and trust Jesus. He knows what He's doing. If it's appointed for you to be taken captive, it's going to happen. Trust Christ. If it's appointed for you to be slain, it's going to happen. Trust Christ. Endure the tribulation. Trust Jesus. Would you stand, please? We'll be put to the test on these things. And as I was saying a little while ago, maybe sooner rather than later. So know that the Lord is calling on us to endure. And not by our own strength. It is through trusting Him. It's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. We endure by trusting Christ. Trusting in what He's done in terms of His atoning work and trusting that He will provide the grace that is necessary for whatever we face in this world. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Brother Richard, you mind leading us in a word of prayer?